Today's episode is with Dr. Lisa Miller. First came across her name while watching her on one of my favorite podcasts, The Rich Roll Show. She spoke about the link between spirituality and science, something I'd never heard about. Spirituality for a lot of us is quite out there, hard to really grasp, and especially difficult to prove. So in this episode, we go into many different things spirituality related. So we define it, we talk about deep relationships, inner wisdom, connecting with the higher power, and much, much more. All of this is also covered in her new book, The Awakened Brain. You'll see that she guides me through two practices on the episode. We'll post these separately as well, so you can access them at any time you need. Finally, we ran out of time with Dr. Lisa in this episode, and we're going to schedule a round two with her very, very soon. So stay out on the look for that. To give you all a bit more clarity on who she is, Dr. Lisa is the New York Times bestselling author of The Spiritual Child and a professor in the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University. She's the founder and director of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology. Her innovative research has been published in more than 100 peer-reviewed articles in leading journals. She speaks and consults around the awakened brain and the spiritual child for the U.S. military, businesses, including tech, finance, HR, and sales, personal development, faith-based organizations, schools, and universities, and for mental health wellness initiatives. With all that said, enjoy the episode. Dr. Lisa, welcome to The Forever Student. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for this great invitation. It's an absolute pleasure. I had a great conversation with you just before we started around how I found you on the Ritual podcast. And um, like all beautiful things in the world, this, uh, this came together very nicely. So I really, really appreciate you being here. It's wonderful to be with you. And I appreciate what you're doing, which is, you know, we certainly are lifelong students if we can open our minds and hearts. And thank you for giving us that pathway forward. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. I, I would love to just dive right in. And the first question I have for you is, where did your journey of spirituality start? And if you could also touch on your interest in exploring how spirituality and science come together. So like just about every child, in fact, science says, as is true of every child on earth, I was a very spiritual child. And if we look at the science twin studies that is now confirmed. But as a child, all I knew was that I could feel this joyous, this numinous presence. I couldn't wait to get up each morning, like every child. Look at how kids get up. They don't they don't drag their feet, they don't <laughs> stretch, they, they're not cranky in the morning. They can't wait for this new day, this gift, this gift from the highest power. And that's how I felt, as does every child. And also, like every child, I would talk with animals and I would feel a connection and I could sit still and a bird would come very, very close. And I prayed, I loved praying. And again, as science has gone on to show one God, many <clears throat> names, well, we are built to be in relationship with a higher power. And as a child, I felt that too. Many children talk to their higher power. Again, whether they use the word God, Allah, the universe, Hashem, spirit, Jesus, whatever they say, there is a tendency for the child from day one to come into some sort of dialogue. And I shared that too. So life was a very spiritual symphony. You can almost hear it at times. So, you know, I was two, I was three, I was four. I had very spiritual parents. My mother would pray with such heart that she would often tear. And I knew that the most 
important part of life, really the, the ground on which we walked was the spiritual reality. So I couldn't wait to get to kindergarten and talk about all this. <laughs> and I, there I was the first day of kindergarten, hmm. I put on my special dress that I'd laid out weeks in advance. And there I was, we were gonna talk about God and we were gonna talk about the symphony and we were gonna feel this love. And instead they were certainly very nice and conscientious, but we sat at desks and started to learn about planning our time and started to learn important skills of reading and math, but no one ever talked about this robust felt sense, the symphony of life. And I waited a long time. I went to high school. I went to college. I sat in the very front row at Yale waiting for my psychology professor to talk about the spiritual reality. And I waited you know, the first week, the second week, it never came. Finally, you know, somewhere down the pike, once I graduated and was a professor, I had a lab of my own and I could start to use the lens of science to look at the impact of human lived spirituality in the rest of our lives. And that's where I found that everything my mother had ever shown me, everything my father had ever done through enacting his spiritual values, not only was it true, but it was changing our entire lives in so many ways, health, wellness, ethics, productivity, goodness, sustainability, any problem we have, we've created because we've yet to realize as a global community, the centrality of our spiritual nature. That's beautiful. If you wouldn't mind, could you define spirituality for us? And also in particular, maybe, you know, how is it different from religion? Because I think that's something that a lot of people might mix up. Well, beautiful. And in fact, what I can say is very humbly, scientists are not licensed or trained to define religion nor to define spirituality. But what we can do quite precisely is take our lens of science and point it onto the impact of spirituality and religion in the human life. And we can take our lens and point it onto the pathway into religious life, the pathway into spiritual life, and how they might in some ways go hand in hand and in other ways be distinct. And here's what the numbers show us. Spirituality is an inborn quality. If we look at twin studies, we can determine the extent to which any human trait is inborn versus environmentally transmitted. So for instance, our temperament, whether we're outgoing or introverted, whether we're high strung or laid back. Our temperament is about half inborn and half environmentally shaped. So even a very high strung baby, and I've had one, can be soothed to sleep through the night. The capacity through which we experience spiritual life is one third innate. We are naturally spiritual beings, but it is two thirds environmentally formed. And what this means is that every boy, every girl, as they're born in the delivery room, is already a spiritual being. Just as we know ourselves as physical, emotional, cognitive beings, so too, every single one of us is a spiritual being. Now, religion is a gift of our community. It's a precious gift of our ancestors and family. It is passed through the generations or found in the road of life. It is environmentally transmitted. There is no genetic contribution to a tendency to be religious. It is a choice. And in fact, very often, religion is the rich two thirds embrace, the environmental embrace that cultivates the spiritual core, 
We're born with this natural spiritual core, like a muscle. It can be strong or it can be laid to atrophy. And religion for about 70% of people in the world is a way that we cultivate our natural spiritual awareness. Let me be even more precise. When it comes to this deep inborn spirituality, there are two dimensions of lived human spiritual life that in particular are game-changing on the rest of our lives, and they are innate. The first is our endowment to be in relationship with the higher power. Again, whether we say Allah or God or Jesus or the universe or the force in life, whatever our word may be, we are born to be in a dynamic, lived, transcendent relationship. And the second innate dimension is that this transcendent awareness might be shared. So just as I see the highest power, just as I may see God, Allah, Hashem, the universe directly in my heart and feel God's presence, the higher power in my life, so too in you, my friend, my brother, my sister, I see the presence of the highest power that the human relationship is both interpersonal, yes, but it is also every relationship, a sacred relationship. The transcendent presence courses in and through our marriages, our parenthood, our friendships, the care we give to the homeless on the street, the way we speak to our employees and so to our boss, the transcendent presence is everywhere in and through human relationships and as such, our relationships are spiritual events. Those two traits, to be in relationship with the higher power and see the higher power in one another, love of neighbor, are our birthright. And sure enough, the beautiful faith traditions all around the world, Islam, Catholicism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, all of them, embrace and hold dear those two deep hardwired dimensions of our human spiritual capacity. That's beautifully said. I have a, a pretty broad question, but for someone who may be disconnected from that higher power or maybe feels like they haven't witnessed this higher power throughout their lives, how do we go about connecting with that? Or maybe whether it's rekindling or creating that connection? And as you put so beautifully, it is to rekindle our birthright, that it is truly only a quarter inch under the surface that this birthright for transcendent relationship lives. So how can we re-engage? And there are a number of ways. Um, some of them are to be in the presence of others who live out a deep transcendent daily spiritual awareness. So that in sharing and walking the walk of spiritual values, in sharing and talking the walk, speaking of spiritual values with one another. What science might say, we entrain the brain. We are effectively our hosts onto sacred presence, which moves the person by our side. And, it, and the science shows us that if you put on MRI caps, when you are in a deep transcendent state, meditation, prayer, acts of love and kindness and service, you entrain the brain of the person near you. They are moved, they are touched as evidenced by the rapidity with which their mirror neurons come up online. You move them into a state of spiritual awareness, what I call awakened awareness. So we are all ambassadors for one another. 
um, you for me, I for the next guy, the guy on the bus for me, people who I've never met have radically opened my spiritual heart coming and going on the sidewalk. That's the first way we are ambassadors. The second is that through chipping away through prayer, even if we don't feel it at first, through gratitude practices. But again, I, I wanna be very clear. There's a fashion right now to say, I am so grateful, but, but grateful to who, right? That grateful has an object of the preposition. You are grateful to, right? You are grateful perhaps to your friend, to your parent. You may be grateful for life itself, to who, right? And starting to explore with head and heart, my, my, what a magnificent world we live in. What a gift to live on earth. What a gift to meet you here on the other side of the earth, my brother with a common heart. What a gift, you know, far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance. Why is it that you get to be a parent through adoption, through marriage, through conception? Why is it that we get to be fed each day? And why is it that as horrible as COVID is, it downregulated and is going away instead of upregulating and killing us all? What is the hand of love and goodness and sustenance through which we know we're loved and held, we're guided, and we're never alone? And if we look at those who show up on our path, who I call trail angels, and if we look at the unprobabilistic con convergence of events that lead to the most important moments of our lives, meeting our spouse, finding the right doctor, that this child of all child should be mine, that what some call synchronicities, looking at life with its gifts and surprises and stand back and look at the roadmap of life. We didn't make this, we're not makers of our path. Maybe, maybe 2%, but if we work hard, but 98% is the gift of the abundance of the guiding hand in life. It is to be loved, held and guided. And so reflecting on our lives as unprobabilistic, looking that in this universe of freezing cold and boiling hot planets, there's this gentle place, the Garden of Eden, you know, right. So that's door number two. And then the third one, being ambassadors, two, looking at the road of life, how really did we get here? And mapping that out, mapping that out. We could do a practice if you'd like. And then the third, um, I might even ask if we could, would you consider doing a practice now? Absolutely. Let's do it. Right. Okay. This is a practice through which we can directly in the language of life, re-engage our natural spiritual awareness. I'm going to invite you to take five breaths and clear out your inner space. Five breaths, just close your eyes and open up your inner chamber. I invite you to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anybody living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, 
Ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than anything that you have done or not done, anything you have or don't have, your true eternal higher self and ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, whatever word you use, however you may know your true higher power. And ask your higher power if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to share? What do you need to know? What do they need to tell you now? And when you're ready, I invite you back. This is your council and they are always there for you. Who shows up may change depending on where you are in your road of life. And you can ask them what is on your heart at different moments. We all have a council. We are never alone. We all have access to know that we are guided and knowing that we are never alone and guided, knowing that our lives are such gifts and far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance, we are loved and we are held. Wow, that was, that was extremely powerful. I think um, going back on what you said before this exercise, I think one of the reasons that we don't uh, take the time to be still, to take the time to think about what we're really grateful for and who we're grateful to is probably a reason that stems from being so busy and so on the go that we don't like to sit with our thoughts. We don't like to sit in silence. We don't like to do nothing. And sometimes it takes the doing nothing to get a bigger understanding of what's really going on. And an exercise like this, where you sit still, and I think for me at least, predominantly question number one, around you know, who is sitting at your table, uh, who truly loves you is a very, very powerful question. Because if you then imagine those people sitting in front of you, all of a sudden your, your gratitude opens up and, uh, and you realize you have love in your life. Right? And I think that's something that we often uh, forget or we, or we skip past. And it was certainly a very powerful reminder for me. I'll share with you I always like to honor the teacher who gave me the practice. And this was taught to me by someone, Dr. Gary Weaver, who he himself adopted 28 boys. So when love is really primary, 
so much more is possible. He didn't adopt them all at once. You know, he had in his house maybe four, six boys at a time. But when he passed and I went to his funeral, I saw that these boys who he'd adopted, who were court-referred boys, who hadn't been loved, who had very few people at their table, had been loved by him, had been loved by the spiritual community, the faith community into which he had brought them. And he had 28 pallbearers. And these pallbearers were now teachers and people in medicine and fathers. So it is love that saves us. It is love that transforms our lives. And the very same love, if you look at our brains, that we have for one another, when we love a child more than what he has done or not done, when we love our spouse more for anything that they've done or not done, have or not have, really of the heart, we literally strengthen the spiritual seat of awareness, the neurodocking station through which we feel a love of our higher power. So goodness to one another expands our heart and our ability to be in deep relationship with our highest power. That's why the council, all members at council will receive through the same neurodocking station because those are all sacred relationships. Those are all transcendent relationships. And while the highest power is primary, the highest power through us requires our perception as well. Now, one thing that I often invite people to do in our workshops and in our, in our, I work with a lot of different organizations is to take a moment and reflect on where you and your true heart feel you may be showing up at the table of those in your life. Where has your love been transformative? That is a very powerful question. And one of the things I, I was thinking about while you were speaking, which I'm very curious to hear your answer to, where, where and why do you feel that a lot of people are not necessarily connected to this higher power? Like where in life did we go wrong maybe as a society? Because I know you mentioned, you know, throughout your childhood and, and schooling and college that it never really showed up in, in the classroom. And I think that's definitely one important factor and maybe the people we surround ourselves with, but where do you think that happened? So I think we all as children do feel the presence of the highest power and you know, see in the sunshine and the light on the water, this great, great joy that we feel through every ounce, every pore of our being, every cell. But in school and in center field culture, there's a tendency to focus only on really the use of half our brain, which I call our achieving awareness. And our achieving awareness is important, but it's only half of our capacity. And I would say it's less than a third of our pathway to success and meaning and fulfillment. But it is a third and we need it. And achieving awareness is tactical, it's strategic. It says, you know, if I want to go to that high school and from that high school to that college and then get hired in that job at that firm and sort of chart this plan I have in my mind, then my tactics are such that right now I need to get A's. Right now I need to take chemistry and calculus. And then I need to major in finance and real estate. And then I need to go to this first firm to lead to the second firm. It is a tactical strategic plan and it is matched by important hard work 
and long-term foresightedness and the ability to delay today for tomorrow. And we need that. But I call that, if you will, for instance, achieving awareness, the mapping, the planning, the strategy of the head. You could line up 100,000 successful professionals outside the door of an average psychotherapist. And most of them will come in and say, I have been a great success. I am so grateful for my wife and kids and job and prosperity. But somehow there's just this sad, heavy feeling on my heart. There's a hole in the middle of my soul. And why is that? Because on this long train, a well-intentioned journey, hopping on the A train and taking off for a hundred miles, there has never been a deep, deep consideration of in the ultimate sense, where am I going? And who am I taking with me on this fast ride? Who are we? Not just, I am a banker, I'm a real estate tycoon, I am a doctor, but who am I on earth? I am a celebrity, I am an intellectual, who am I on earth? Well, who am I on earth is answered by a deeper compass. We could call it the knowing of the heart, the intimations, the reception of the spirit. I call it our awakened awareness for the inborn seat of neuroperception we have available if we choose to use it that allows us to see the deeper nature in life, look more with both eyes open into reality and say, who am I on earth? What is my meaning? What is my purpose? No, really, what is the meaning of life, the purpose? And when we start to ask those questions, it can be very depressing at first. In fact, anytime we're on the edge of spiritual growth, it can feel a little disquieting, a little heavy. The 100,000 professionals outside the door of the therapist wonder what really is my purpose? What really am I doing with my life? But that little passageway, if I call, I call it the knock at the door of existential wondering, hunger, at times even despair, is actually the ignition. It is the kickoff for a deep journey every one of us has available. It is, you know, by design, the very first three steps on an arc of discovery that leads us to inhabit a bigger life that leads us into an augmented awareness of reality through which we can see the presence of our higher power in one another through nature, through all that we choose and do. Awakened awareness can go hand in hand with achieving awareness. And when it does, we are extremely effective at living not just effective, productive, high energy lives, but at the same time leaving, leading lives of great significance, of love, of contribution, aligned with spiritual values. Traditions all around the world call this putting the heart first, the heart that knows what is true, the inner compass that knows what's real and what is life showing me now, what does my higher power ask of me now, to then guide the implementation and strategy of the head. If we put the heart first, what is my being and purpose? What did this great experience so loving mean to me and my path? Discern with the head and then take it from there with the head. We have created a very effective strategic pathway that has direction. 
if we put the head first and say, I want this and here's how I'll get it, the heart in service to the head, when the head goes first, is a heart of yearning. It's, I've got to have it. It's of competition. And when we look at that process in the brain, I've got to have it. My appetites of the heart are driven by the strategy, fear of not getting what I want, anger if it's taken from me, very little possibility in this arrangement. What goes off in the MRI when we look at head driving heart is the insulin striatum. I've got to have it. I need it now. I'm angry. I'm fearful. The insulin striatum, I've got to have it, is the addiction constellation. We are looking at circuits, I've got to have it, that could easily be turned and applied to drugs and alcohol or obsession with gambling. I've got to have it is an acculturation in the air and water of post-industrial society all around the world. I've got to have it that never, ever can lead to a fulfilled life. Because if you get it, if you get that Maserati or Ferrari, if you get that first million, if you get that great building, you just want a bigger one. It's this hole that grows larger the more you fill it. If you give it a million dollars, it grows to $10 million. If you give it the most beautiful wife, you want the one who's five years younger. It is never filled. <laughs> but if instead you say, loving higher power, where do I go from here? And practice in prayer and contemplation, the type of direction we just shared in our practice at the table. Then we're guided to a life that is not one made by our ego and pursued blindly, but it is a life that is inspired and guided. It is a life that is discovered. And it is far more confident with the deeper nature of life. It has a lot more movement and a lot more possibility and traction. It's a bigger life. It also allows us in times of total loss and suffering to still feel the love that's in and through us, to still know that we're buoyant and to realize that today's sorrow will yield for tomorrow's new realization. It is a totally different life. I've, um, over time, have, have learned how to listen to, I call it my gut feeling, but I suppose it can also be called um, signs of the universe of God or whatever it may be or whatever you may believe in. I think that I've learned how to tap into that by certain practices, so whether that's exercise, good sleep, meditation, certain habits. Um, but the more and the more I would practice those habits, the more clear cut those signs have become. And the more clear cut it became for me to listen to my gut feeling. What I wanted to ask you is, how do you go about outside of the habits that I'm talking about? How do you go about listening to the signs? And how do you go about understanding which signs you should listen to and which you shouldn't? May we do another practice? Of course. Okay. I'm going to invite you this time again, five breaths <laughs> to clear out your inner space. I invite you to enter a time where you had it all laid out. I mean, you had done everything right. A plus B plus C 
was all set. And it was yours. It was in the bag. It may have been a job, a job promotion. It could have been, yes, he's going to propose to me. It could have been your child is getting into a school or you're getting into a school, but you did everything right. A plus B plus C, 99% in the bag in hand. And yet somehow it didn't equal D. You were robbed. It didn't come through. That red door to which you had worked fairly and methodically was jammed and the red door just would not open. And your sights on that red door had been long standing. So this was irritating, it was frustrating, I've been very angry and in time sort of depressed, helpless. But only because that red door was jammed, only because that red door would not move, you turned. And you turned perhaps to discover a yellow door that was wide open. And this, I mean, you might've said that there weren't even yellow doors in life. And that yellow door led to someone who absolutely adores you, who you love. And that door led to friendships or community. That open yellow door that you would have walked right by, never seen, led to a form of work that was right for you, where you feel connected and meaningful and contribute and prosper in the big sense. And I'd like to invite you now to envision the hairpin turn in your life, on your road, your journey, as you start to draw your road of life up, up, up to the red door, hairpin turn to discover the yellow door, that 90 degree, it could have been 120 degree turn in the road and maybe even draw that hairpin turn in the road. Add in the yellow door. Now, as you look at your road of life, the hairpin turn, the red door, the yellow door, were there any helpers, anyone along the way who pointed you to the yellow door? Someone you may have known for a very long time, a grandparent, a trusted dear friend, perhaps even from childhood. Maybe it was someone you just met, a guy on the bus, an advisor, someone you sat next to on an airplane of all days then. And draw now into your road of life that helper, that messenger, perhaps that healer. And looking now at the road of life that you've drawn with your hairpin turn, the red door, the yellow door, the helpers and healers who I call trail angels along the way. Step back. Where is your higher power in this picture? I invite you to envision here, where is your higher power? And draw into your road of life at this hairpin turn, your higher power. Step back, look at this, and I invite you to do this two more times. So you have three hairpin turns through which you've lived already. And then again, step back, where? In your unprobabilistic road of life, 
that was somehow guiding, that was somehow buoyant, that was so very loving. In these moments of hairpin turns, were you awakening to what is life showing me now? And I invite you to consider the most powerful part of our brain is actually receptive. And that the truest love of our lives is actually everywhere. And that who am I given this shape of a road in life? I am part of everything, the white cap on the ocean wave. From the view of physics, we are a point and we are a wave. We're magnificently diverse and unique with GPS coordinates and a bio bodysuit, male, female, different ethnicities. And we are part of this deep, deep fabric of life. We are part of the inspired spirit of life. We are both. And we are born to be able to hear the guidance through the sacred field of life, through the voice of each other as sacred points along the path. There's a deeper way that we can know each other. We are each other's trail angels. We can choose to say that which has come to the heart because we know someone in the room needs to hear it. And we can choose to listen because someone from another GPS coordinate with a different bio bodysuit has a divine appointment to give you just what you need to hear in your journey on your road of life. And so too do you for them. We are sisters and brothers in this family of life. And we only know the deep suffering and we only know the great joy of which each other speak through our many stories from many corners because of one human heart. Or as the gift of science lets us see, there is one human spiritual brain and we all have it. Wow. That was very special. I'm so grateful to share it with you. And I can feel the intensity and presence of your spiritual heart, your, your essence. And I'm so grateful that all of the people who sharing your podcast hear both the words, but also feel the touch of the power of your spirit, or I would say of the highest power through your service. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was tremendously powerful. I think both practices that you shared are, are definitely going to change some perspectives. And, um, and I hope people practice these on a regular basis rather than just as a one-off. I think that there are times in our lives where we all have done these. And when we can retrieve those precious moments, we know that we already have in us the calling and the power to contribute in the symphony. And now we can do it every day. It is validated as truth. It is proof in the pudding. It is not the icing on the cake that we should be spiritually observant. It is not the 
extracurricular effort in our lives, it's actually the core. We are engaging the core of who we are. A whole person minus the spiritual core has pain. It's the line of successful professionals outside the therapist's office. A whole person with a strong spiritual core lights like the sun, the warmth, the joy, the light for everyone around him or her. There's a strength, there's a power, and our greatest power is to be receptive of our calling. What does my higher power ask of me now? And very often people share, they know when you know, they're sitting in a room and someone says, we need someone to run up, head the drive for the homeless people. We need someone to collect food. We need someone to be the head of the youth support group. There's a little sense of tap, tap, tap. No, this one's, this one's yours. We know when this one's ours. Um, and that happens not just when it comes to clear organizational volunteering, but when we're walking down the street and there's someone in terrible pain, we know when this one's ours. Yeah, I think the universe, I call it the universe, the universe comes knocking a lot. And even if you don't answer, it'll come knocking again until you answer. Yes, yeah. and that is redemptive. Isn't that wonderful that I can make not one mistake, I can make five mistakes, I can make 50 mistakes and still the loving guiding universe shows up. In fact, the loving guiding universe was there all along. It must be that I've awakened my awareness and finally I show up. And awakened awareness allows us to see everyone at our table, that the universe is there all along, the highest power, and that every single one of us in our daily lives has about 50 opportunities to serve the highest purpose. Yeah, totally. I, uh, I'm afraid that we, we don't have that much time left and there's probably another 20 questions that I want to ask you. So I certainly want to invite you back for, for another session if, uh, if that's of interest. And we'll do more practices and you and I can talk some more. It's such a wonderful opportunity to connect so deeply with you. Thank you for the depth of your contribution. No, thank you. And one of the things that I, I certainly want to mention um, now and to give people, I guess, somewhat of a teaser for, for next time is obviously um, the book that you wrote called The Awakened Brain, which uh, we'll, we'll disclose more details in the show notes and you've heard about it in the introduction. But there's so much there to unpack around the science behind this, because I think when people hear about spirituality, when people hear about particular practices, um, whether it's practices that we just did meditations, even things like journaling or really getting in touch with yourself. More often than not, it's because it's in parentheses unproven. We don't necessarily trust it or we say it's not for us, it's for someone else. And I think what you have proven is when we deeply engage with ourselves, with our inner wisdom and really focus on the deep transcendent relationships in our life, that there is now scientific evidence, which you've worked very hard with um, with your colleagues to put together and now have made available in a book. I think I would love to dive deeper into this um, next time that we speak. That's a very, very powerful point. It is true that all around the globe, there's a tendency in post-industrial cultures to say, I am a scientist. I believe in science, you know, whether I'm a lawyer or entertainer or whatever I do, I'm, I believe in science. 
And I don't think that's spirituality stuff. That's kind of woo woo. And then the other folks, on the other hand, say, I am deeply spiritual. I know it in my heart. I need no proof from science. Science can't prove everything. But it turns out that spirituality and science can go hand in hand, that we can use excellent, rigorous methodology of science to look at the origins and impact of lived spirituality in the human life course. And what science in aggregate says is that we are innately spiritual beings when this is strengthened and realized in our relationships with one another, relational spirituality, in prayer and meditation, in faith community, in good work, we strengthen our natural spiritual core. And it is the strongest, most powerful force we have for prevention against addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling, prevention against despair and depression. And it even is the foundation for what are called the character strengths and virtues, goodness, gratitude, altruism, commitment. We are made whole, we are made healthy, we are made effective, yes, more outward success, and we are ethical in relation to one another and our beautiful earth. When we realize our full whole nature and that is the strengthening of the core, the spiritual core. Beautiful, beautiful. I, um, I can't wait for round two. I, uh, I, I really, I found it a pleasure. And I think what we'll also do is we'll just cut out these two practices and also post them separately so that people can refer back to them on a more regular basis. Because I honestly, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, listening to something like that and going through that exercise uh, really provides you with, with a deeper connection that we don't connect with enough. So with that. It is our birthright. Yeah. It is our birthright. Absolutely. So with that, Dr. Lisa, thank you for round one. And um, we look forward to round two. Uh, once again, we'll, we'll disclose our, all the notes around uh, where to get the book and, um, and what you're in for. But I think we can dive deeper into that uh, next time we speak. I'm very grateful. It's been an honor. And I send my heart's best wishes to you and all of your listeners. Much love. Thank you.